Good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church. I don't always sound like Barry White. Only a few of y'all got that. There ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Oh, see? Now y'all get it. I don't always sound this bad. Had a little allergies this week and some sinus infections. So for those of you that are guests, I don't always sing at the beginning of a sermon, and I don't always sound like this, but I'm so glad you're here. And I definitely don't always hold tea. I've become a tea drinker this week, thanks to my beautiful wife. I used to just thought that was hot water, um, but it does help my voice. And so I'll be uh, sipping on some tea to kind of get through this. But we are in a book of Ephesians. And this book... This letter from Paul would ask us, and I just begin in this way, asking you the question that I've asked myself this week, who are you? Who do you belong to? These, of course, are questions that we don't really regularly ask, probably, um, and they're questions that have varied, varied answers, and those various answers are generally true. I am Ryan, husband of Laurel. I'm also dad. Father of Grayson, Carson, and Hudson. I'm also Pastor Ryan, a pastor at the Parks Church. I'm Ryan, fan of Melissa Cardinals and CEO of the Dallas Cowboys Fan Club. All of those identities are true. They are realities of who I am. But they are, they're, they're really, if we think about it and we understand what God's Word has to say to us, through this letter and as we study the book of Ephesians, they're just aliases. They're, they are real. They, they are names and titles and, and identifiers that we go by, but they aren't, they're not complete. They aren't the foundation. You see, all of those identities that I just shared about myself, and each of you have others that you would share about yourself, all of those identities are built on what you believe about God. What is your response, your answer, when you are asked the question, who is God, and what do you know about him or of him? You see, God is so big that even if you were to deny his existence altogether, if you were an atheist here, and if you're an atheist here this morning, I just want you to hear you are welcomed and you are loved in this place. But if you're an atheist denying all existence of God, that would impact all of those other identities, the way that you live your life as Ryan husband, Ryan father, et cetera, et cetera, would be impacted by the fact that I denied that God existed. But then conversely, because he does exist, because I know God and I have met him through the person of Jesus Christ, that also changes who I am. Because at the foundational level, sitting underneath all of those aliases, is the fact that I am a Christian. The moment I was converted, the Bible says, I was born again. And if I've been born again, then I am a new creation. How the, the story of Nicodemus, how can you be born again? And Jesus says that you must be born again and be given, you're given a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in that new creation, I have a new identity. And building upon this logic, if I have a new identity, then all of my other identities are reflective of that new life. Who am I? 
I'm a Christian. I was dead until God made me alive in Christ. I'm a son of God, adopted, not based upon my righteousness or anything that I could do, but based upon the complete righteousness of God, the complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if this is who I am, then it should, it will, it has to affect every other identity in my life. It'd be concerning to claim to be an adopted son of Almighty God and then that not transcend and impact everything about my life. This is why false conversion is so detrimental and hurtful to the church. We claim the identity of Christ to be Christian, and then we live in the world as if it has zero impact on our lives. And guess what, brothers and sisters? The world, the culture around us is beginning to demand that of us. That who you are, your identity as a Christian, we're being told, needs to be confined and must not touch any other area of our lives. And the answer to that is, that's not possible. I am who I am. And as a Christian, as someone who has been made alive in Christ, there is no way that I cannot live that out in every area of my life. Now, I hear your complaints against this. Wait, what about this? But we all sin, and we've sinned since we converted. Yes, we do, and we're going to get to that even further in a moment. But when we sin, because we are Christian, because our identities have been transformed, the sin grieves us. We we are hurt by it, and not just when we face consequences, but when we are the only ones who know our sin. When we think for those brief moments that that sin is in the secret place that no one else could ever find out, even then it grieves us because the truly converted Christian is grieved by sin and lives a life of repentance. I won't re-preach that message, but I preached on Psalm 51 and how we as Christians should live lives of constant repentance. And so I'd encourage you to go back to last week so you can go on the podcast on our website if you're new with us, and you can listen to that sermon. So identity is so important to how we live. Again, we hear this in the news today over and over again, talking about identity, and because I identify as such and such, then I have to be given these rights or those. So the world acknowledges that if you say that I identify as this or that, that it impacts everything that you touch and the way that you live. As Christians, that is true. Yes, as Christians, because we are in Christ, because of the identity that we have received, not based upon who we were, but based upon who Christ is, yes, everything is impacted. Who we are shapes every belief and action we take. Now, you're thinking to yourself, what does all of that have to do with anything? He hadn't got to the text yet. Well, this is the heart behind this letter of Ephesians. If you haven't been with us in the past, we've been working our way this summer through Psalms, and we've kind of hit various ones. But it's our habit here at the Parks Church, more often than not, kind of breaking for summer periodically, but definitely during the, uh, the regular school calendar year. We just work our way through books of the Bible. And so we're going to begin this study in Ephesians. And Paul's heart, as he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, was them, for them to truly understand who they are in Christ. As your pastor, as someone who wants this city to glorify God, 
when they, seeing, when they see his church living amongst them. I want you, I want us to understand, to fully grasp who we are in Christ and to live our lives accordingly. Not to live just going with the ways and the whims of the world, but to live our lives according to who we are in Christ. And so this has been my prayer as we've been preparing uh, for this series, that we would live that out. And that's why this subtitle for this series is that we may know and live, that we as Christ's church set here in this city would know who we are and would live accordingly. So I invite you to pray that big prayer with me. Now, just a quick intro to this letter, the book of Ephesians in your Bibles. Romans is sometimes referred to as the most important book of the Bible. The theology contained within it is uh, so powerful. Um, But Ephesians is at just six chapters. It's a short book. It's referred to sometimes, has been referenced pound for pound as the most influential document in the history of the world. Is written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, but this church was more of, or this letter was more of a circular letter. So unlike some of his other letters to the church in Colossus, to the Corinthian church, to Galatians, and these others, the the church in Ephesus was comprised as an area of Asia, and this letter was sort of circulated around a number of churches. One of the questions about Paul's authorship of this letter is the fact that he doesn't reference anyone in Ephesus personally. You'll notice if you go to some of his other letters, he has all of these names that he's referencing. And Paul lived in Ephesus for three years and no doubt would have had some strong relationships with the people of that city. But this letter was written more generally to a group of people and the letter was circulated around to multiple churches. It wasn't written to to address any specific problems in the church, such as the Corinthian letter and others, or to address false teachers. But as I said, it's a more general letter. And so, because of that, it also is the letter that is most contemporary. It's the letter that, as we read it, we can quickly apply it to our church, the modern-day church, much more easily. If we received a letter from Paul, if Paul was able, from heaven, to write the Parks Church in Melissa, Texas, a letter, he would send us the letter of Ephesians. That's my summary of that. In light of what we know, how are we to live The first three chapters lay the foundation of who we are in Christ, speak to this idea of our identity and what he has done in us and how we call ourselves Christians. And then the latter half, four through six, is the implications of how we are to live. One of the things that Paul does as he reminds us of these two things in chapters one through three and then in four through six is he reminds us of the importance of the church. John Stott, one of the great theologians of old, said it this way, we tend to proclaim individual salvation without moving on to the saved community. We emphasize that Christ died for us to redeem us from all iniquity rather than to purify for himself a people of his own. We think of ourselves more as Christians than as churchmen, and our message is more good news of a new life than a new society. But this is the message of Jesus. He said, as we reference back, I've talked about this many times, Mark 1.15, that he came to establish a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so he established this new kingdom. And yes, this kingdom is made up of citizens. But once again, it is a people, a group 
the church. In terms of identity, we're very quick, especially as Americans and even more so probably as Texans, to identify amongst us ourselves as an individual, our identity as individual. But our strongest identity should not come from a nation. Our strongest identity should be laid in the foundation that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so Ephesians will help us remember that. We can't study this book. There's no way for us to read this, meditate on this word, and believe that our faith is something that we keep private. Again, the world is telling us that we need to do that over and over and over again. But God's word is not about private people. Yes, it is personal. And we are citizens individually of the kingdom of God. But he has established us as a people. When we see one person, maybe a war hero, live in such a way that clearly contrasts with the gray world around him, we marvel. We give him a medal, and rightfully so. Just imagine if we were a people, the church, who lived as a new society in complete contrast to the dying world around us. What a powerful witness we would be if we lived accordingly. Ephesians, I pray, will help us to do that. So, with that introduction, let's look at the text that Lisa read for us. He begins, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This letter begins by acknowledging the sovereignty of God. He says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. It was God who chose Paul to be an apostle, to take his message of grace to the Gentiles. And if you think about this, if you know anything about Paul, and just in case if you don't, Paul would have been the least likely character, and any of us would have picked someone, we would have not picked Paul to take the message to the Gentiles, because he was the one who persecuted the Gentiles. He was the one that stood around and said, we must kill them for their claim to be Christian. But God had a plan, and God appointed that this man would write this letter and proclaim his message to us today. It is the will of God that we receive and hear this message. So, guess what? It's the will of God that you would hear this. That means don't go to sleep right now. God wants you to hear what he has to say. He continues in verse 2, to the saints... And by the way, just as a little side note, so often when we read our Bibles, we read these little introductions and we sort of just gloss over them. We're like, okay, Paul, get me to the meat of this matter. There's so much in each of these verses. All Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and is good for us. So he says, to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints in Melissa, Texas, gathered today in the church do you think of yourself as a saint? I mean, I like to tell people I'm a saint. I like to think positively, and doggone it, people like me. I like others to think of me as a saint. But if I'm really honest with myself, and I would guess if you're honest with yourself, I don't really see myself in that way. I used to talk about this a lot. You know, my mom would always say, I'm so proud of you, and I'd be like, for what? I just like lived a day. I didn't do anything. 
She just marveled, though, at whatever it was that I was doing because that's what moms do. But if we're in Christ, as he says, faithful, that's who we are. We are saints. Abraham believed, and it was counted unto him as righteous. We have been justified by faith. Romans 5.1 says this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saints. You and I, brothers and sisters, are saints. You are holy and set apart. That's what that word means. A holy one. And holy things are set apart for special and significant use. You'll notice that when we take communion, we set those things apart, and there is a holiness to that table. And many of the kids try and defile that as soon as we're done, and they go and drink all that juice and eat that bread. That's okay. I'm not mad at you. But those things, that's a holy thing. Those things are set apart for special and significant use. We are saints. We have been set apart, made holy by Christ. Of all the people in the world, you and I have been set apart and declared to be holy and righteous. That should create awe in our hearts. Again, I don't think of myself in that way, and yet that's how God sees me. God does not see me even in the midst of my sinfulness. He doesn't see me as that way. He sees me as a saint. 1 Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim what? Not yourself, but the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were not a part of the kingdom. We'll get to that in a little bit, a couple weeks in Ephesians chapter 2. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We worship in response to that identity that we've been given. Not only are we saints, but it says that we are saints and we are faithful in Christ Jesus. The word faithful has an active and a passive meaning at the same time. We have faith, active, and we are faithful, passive. We have placed our faith in Christ Jesus, active, and our message of faith faith is trustworthy. It's always important to remember the object of our faith, to see what we put our faith in, not just the fact that we have faith. Having faith, honestly, is easy. I have faith that this platform will hold me up. The old one didn't, so they got us a new one so that it would. Now, I can also have faith that this podium would hold me up. I could stand on it. Now, first I'd have to box jump, which would be really hard for me. But that would be unwise. It would be unwise to put my faith in this podium. It's a little bit wobbly. It's got an angle to it. It's it's not about that. The object of my faith is what is important. I put my faith in this platform because I know that it will hold me. Our faith in Christ Jesus is what's important. Jesus would talk about just have a little faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed on the planet. We don't have to have a lot of faith. We just have to have a little faith in the right person. And we are introduced, we're we're called by Paul, saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. When we are faithful in Christ, we are joined with him. 
Notice that last section there. He says, we are faithful in Christ Jesus. We die with him to our sins. And yes, we are raised with him to eternal life. You hear us talk about this when we have baptism Sundays. And we show and we demonstrate the symbol of us being unified in Christ, dying with Christ, and then being raised to life in him as we come up out of the water. Again, this speaks to our identity, who you are, who we are. We are saints in Christ. We're branches that have been grafted into Christ. Therefore, we are one with him. God doesn't see Christ and the branches as individuals. Just as if we walked outside and we looked at a tree, we wouldn't call this a tree and then have different names for all of the branches. We would just say, that's a tree. The same way, God, we have been grafted into Christ and we are We are Christ. We are the body of Christ. So to be a Christian is to be one with Christ. And if we are one with Christ, guess what? Our thoughts, our actions, our very lives will reflect that oneness. This is who we are, and it is good news, friends. We are saints because we belong to God and have put our faith in Christ, thereby being grafted into him and becoming his people. And so these believers in Ephesus, they lived in Ephesus, but their true home was in the kingdom of God. They had to learn how to live as exiles in two different places. Does that sound familiar? For those of you that were with us in the spring as we worked our way through the book of Daniel, we called that sermon series Hope for Exiles, learning to live as exiles in the land that God had sent us. If we were trying to keep with that same theme in terms of our subtitles, we would have maybe said the gospel for exiles or wisdom for exiles is what this letter is telling us. And so Paul identifies who he is and who we are in Christ as his introduction. And then in verse 3, he begins to offer a blessing to God, a blessing for what he has done in these people. And it's a reminder to us all of what God has done in our lives. God has, through Christ, established for himself a holy people and built a new society, and it's called the church. It's not called just the Parks Church. It's called the church, the big C, the body of Christ in the midst of total brokenness and depravity. So he begins with this blessing, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, a popular speaker coined the phrase, live your best life, with the title of his well-known book. If you follow my Instagram, you know that my dog Dirk does live his best life now. He can do that because he's a dog, and he gets to lay in the pool, and he gets to eat apples from our tree. But for the rest of us, trying to live our best life now is buying goods on a lie. It doesn't exist. Now, why might you say that? You're asking yourself, why is living my best life? What's wrong with having the best that this life has to offer? What's wrong with happiness and just fun and all of those kinds of things? Well... The reason that it's wrong is because it never lasts. 
Because God never promised us that this life would be our best. And when we strive and aim to make this life our best, guess where our focus and attention goes? To this life and away from the kingdom that we are a member of. Our lives become focused on the temporal rather than on the eternal. So when we try to live our best life now, it always will fail. Now some of us, because we are so blessed in this time in history, in the city, in the county, in the state that we live in, we're choking on our blessings as we've said before, and so you're thinking to yourself, hadn't failed me yet, I'm doing great. Let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, and I don't say this as a threat or even really much of a warning, but it's just the truth, it will. One day, something of that foundation will crumble because it cannot sustain itself. Because the God of the universe did not ordain that it would or that it should. No, what did he say to us? What did God promise? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Everything that we need is found in Christ. In Christ, we lack nothing. There is nothing that we could need that we don't find in Jesus. But so often, we go around in this life chasing after these futile, lesser things, trying to find some joy or some happiness or just some peace because we've taken our eye off the promise of God that says, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that you need you have in Christ. And guess what? Those things that are given to us, those spiritual blessings, guess where they're held? In the heavenly places. They're held by Christ where he reigns with his grip firmly upon them, his grip firmly upon us. They cannot be lost. They cannot fail. They will not rust. They will not fade. They will not dissipate. They won't go away. Those things are forever and ever and ever. Amen to the praise of his glorious grace. That is what we have received when we were adopted as sons and daughters. When we were declared saints because of what Jesus Christ has done. Spiritual blessings that do not ever fade. And if our hearts and our minds and our attention would go to those places, the reminder of those spiritual blessings that we have, who we are in Christ, our eternal security in Him, the future that we hold, everything that happens here becomes a lot less important, becomes a lot less painful, becomes a lot less hurt all the different negative things that you could think about, what might have happened. I was reflecting on this this morning. A year ago today, my mom passed away. And it's the worst day that I can remember in all of my life. I am blessed. I am filled with joy. I have hope. God has secured and kept me and my family together, and we have not lost our faith in him. Why? Because 
That was secured by Christ, in Christ, for eternity. And nothing that happens in this life or on this planet will ever change that truth. That is true, and it lasts forever. So yes, as I think back to this day a year ago, I think, man, that was pretty terrible. As we celebrate family milestones and all of those sorts of things and we miss her, I think, yeah, that's, we miss you, Mom. Hate that you're not here. But guess what? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I have hope. I know what she's doing is way more important than watching us fools down here doing anything. I have joy. This isn't just fake joy, friends. I don't just muster this up because I'm like Paul and can like anybody. <laughs> Paul loves so well. Not the Paul of the Bible, but our Paul. Both of them do. No, it's real joy. It's happiness. And it's not founded on this life. It's not founded on the good things of this world, although they are many. Those are gifts from our good God. No, it's founded in Christ alone. Now, I had three more verses to get through, but it's hot, my voice is going, and so we're going to pray, and we're just going to close and reflect on that. And we'll pick back up with this text, verse 4, next week. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for who you have created me to be in you. As we will unpack further, you chose me before the foundation of the world. Therefore, there's nothing about my life, that, nothing about my relationship with you that was contingent upon something that I did here. No, before you even spoke this world into existence, you said, he is mine. And you set me apart as holy. So God, I, I just rejoice in my adoption as your son. I pray that as we just meditate on this truth this afternoon, today, and in the hours that come, Lord, we would just be overwhelmed with gratitude. Be in awe of who you have made us to be. Yes, we are your body. We are the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So because of that, Lord Jesus, I pray by the power of your spirit that we would live as people who are marked by that identity. Right now, we're going to take a few moments, God, and we're just going to confess to you those things that we have tried to hold too close to our own hearts, that we have said, no, this identity, I'm going to keep this one to myself. I'm not going to let that be touched by who I am in Christ. And so we just confess that we don't live that out very well all the time. We can confess to you, Jesus, because you're merciful. So we just give those things over to you and we ask that you would help us, Holy Spirit, help us to live out of our identity 
as citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us as a church to be light in the dark places of this city, this nation, and the world. We just close our time today worshiping you, Jesus, giving thanks. We pray that you would help us to bring glory and honor to your name every day of our lives. We love you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.